1: have that conversation with me today, let you know if you have sent me something and I haven't been able to reply to it yet, I will. And I appreciate you reaching out. So we're going to have Alex Daugherty on in the next segment from A to Z Sports. He will help us sort of preview Pred Stars. Puck drop will be right as we go off the air at 7 o'clock on FSTN, as well as I think USA Network will have the game as well tonight if you want to go that route. But I want to talk about something else off the top. And I'll just start here. Quote, we don't have any words and we know you don't want to hear them. We understand your anger, your frustration, your sadness. Everything you're feeling, we get it. This isn't the ending we imagined and certainly not the one we wanted. Thank you for being there the entire way. Unquote. That was the tweet sent out by the Tampa Bay Lightning last night about 15 minutes after The best team in the NHL, who won a record 62 games, have locked up the President's Trophy months ago, were swept. Not beaten, but swept. First time that's ever happened to the winner of the President's Cup. Swept by a franchise in the Columbus Blue Jackets who had never won a playoff series before. Ever. And you know, it's odd how things sometimes happen in a fashion where this theme that you've been hitting relentlessly or thinking about for a few weeks just keeps on cropping up and sometimes without you even having to try to find it. And if you've been listening to me as of late, I've talked an awful lot about failure and how overcoming it or maybe the way to overcome it doesn't come from excusing it away or trying to forget about it, but instead it comes from owning it and accepting it and learning from it while not letting it completely destroy you in the process. Tiger Woods, at least on the course and in his professional life, came back from failure. He came back from real, palpable adversity. And what he did was absolutely inspiring. Tony Bennett in Virginia, lost to Maryland-Baltimore County one year ago, owned it, came back this year, and regardless of how you feel about the wins they got, they won. They won it all, and they cut down the nets. These are redemption stories, and they're impossible to deny. But here's the thing. What I haven't had this year is the opposite example. I haven't been able to look at a current failure happening right in front of my eyes and witness the immediate response to it. There is no redemption yet. All I've seen is the failure and the response. And then last night happened. The Tampa Bay Lightning, 62 games, a record in the NHL, more than just favorites to take on the Stanley Cup, in many circles, prohibitive favorites. But that's not going to be the case because the Columbus Blue Jackets, who had never even won a playoff series, and remember they were up up on the Capitals 2-0 last year and still lost that series. The Blue Jackets didn't just beat Tampa Bay, they swept them. And this was truly stunning. And it was embarrassing for that franchise. There's no other way to spin this. They got their rear ends whipped. It wasn't a one-goal finish. It was three empty netters and a total bludgeoning when you look at the final scorecard. So the Lightning's Twitter account and their social media team quickly put forth one singular tweet. And I read it to you off the top. I'll read it again. Quote, we don't have any words, and we know you don't want to hear them. We understand your anger, your frustration, your sadness. Everything you're feeling, we get it. This isn't the ending we imagined, and certainly not the one we wanted. Thank you for being there the entire way, unquote. This, to me, is an example of a very self-aware group and a franchise that reacted swiftly and, in my personal opinion, beautifully because there was nothing to say. There was nothing to excuse. There was nothing to blame on others. They lost four games to zero, and this record-setting, ridiculously great season came to a close with an all-time shocking whimper. So, I responded last night at Mart Zone on Twitter and said this was well done. This worked. It was everything that needed to be said to a fan base that you know they had to be hurting so badly. And they didn't understand what had just taken place. They've watched this past week and they're just, they're flummoxed. They have no idea. This wasn't supposed to happen. Not to this team, right? Not this year, right? Remember me saying on Monday that regardless of how hard you work or how badly you want certain things, you absolutely cannot live your life based on unshakable expectations for anything here in this life because so many circumstances are out of your control. No amount of planning, no amount of preparation means you're going to succeed. It only positions you better to have a chance to do so. And it's that difference and that view that enables you to actually accept your faults, accept your errors, or getting something wrong and being able to admit to that. It sounds super easy to sit here, in my case, and say that, but it's not, because pride is truly insidious, and it's deeply ingrained in all of us. We don't like admitting we're not perfect, or that somebody else has a leg up on us in some way. Think of how many parents out there believe that their children have never once been in the wrong in their entire lives, something that then often probably more often than not has disastrous consequences for those kids. And for those that those kids encounter, if they don't fix that or if they actually buy into that lie, we've all screwed up we've all screwed up badly, and so after the lightning tweeted out what they did i 'm sitting here seeing responses that just left me befuddled, and i don't understand this, and some people then responded to me when I asked what on earth was wrong with what the team said, and they responded, and they said, well, twitter's an outrage machine, it's just bots, it's just trolls." It's nobody real. Anybody on Twitter is going to complain if you ask them if they want $100 from you. But here's the thing. It wasn't just bots. It was media personalities. And not just media personalities nationally. nationally, It was media personalities in this city and others that I respect nationally. Guys that I know in some cases. And it just made no sense. I suppose that the alternative would have been to say nothing. But jumping in front of this story in such a raw, vulnerable fashion allowed the team and the franchise to own the losses, to own the end of its season, and not to come across like some kind of faceless monolith that doesn't realize what just took place. Because the problem with trying to excuse away something like what happened last night and over the past week to the Tampa Bay Lightning is pretty obvious. They lost, that's a fact. We all knew it. We all witnessed it. We all probably chuckled or our eyes you know, were jumping out of our skulls when we saw it. Them staying quiet was not going to accomplish anything because the event actually happened. It took place. The Tampa Bay Lightning were swept by the Blue Jackets. It was incredible. And the top seed in the league, President's Trophy winners, done for the season, And the response on social media from the team was just this. It was acceptance of those facts, along with a thank you to the fans that bought tickets, that bought merch, that wore jerseys and hats and had license plate holders and went to events and supported this team through this season as well as any other. It was an apology. It was an acknowledgement that what just happened to the team on the ice mattered. It didn't end like we thought it would. We don't know what to say. Nothing's going to be adequate anyway. But we love you for supporting us. It doesn't say we'll be back because it doesn't have to. We know inherently that sports are going to happen again. Hockey's going to be played again this fall into next year, and another champion's going to be crowned. One of the best things about sports is there is always another season. Because without hope, even blind hope, why would a lot of fan bases even watch or support these teams? I mean, talk to JT or David Reed about being Cubs fans for so long before that World Series finally came and they could fly that white flag and fly the W. Talk to Chad Withrow. Talk to Blaine Bishop. Talk to Brandon Hackney. Talk to me about all the futility that that the Atlanta Braves went through before 1995 happened. Talk to JT and me about losing three Super Bowls with the Broncos, with John Elway, then not going to one for several years, and then winning two with Mike Shanahan and Terrell Davis and Elway and Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey and that crew. What you got from the Tampa Bay Lightning last night was rare. It was unfiltered, unvarnished transparency. It wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. It wasn't anything but an acceptance and an acknowledgement that they fell short. Ultimately, it's going to be the team itself that has to do the same. But this was a really, a truly positive step, and and I'd be proud of it. I'd be proud of this team if I were a fan, if I were a Lightning fan. kind of makes you wish you were one, the way that they reacted to this. I don't know what the media types and others that question this move actually wanted, and I mentioned this to 3HL at the end of the hour. Just as with Rick Barnes yesterday, you cannot have it both ways. Pick one. Do you want honesty, even if it hurts, or do you want Butch Jones coach speak? You don't really want honesty if you only want honesty until it's something that you don't like. That's like saying you're open-minded, but you're only open-minded until someone says something that you disagree with, and then all of a sudden those people have to be shuttered and they have to be closed off and their voices have to be silenced. I, for one, maybe you disagree, but I, for one, want to hear it like it is regardless of how painful it might be in that moment because I'm going to respect that so much more than the opposite. And last night, personal example, I had a friend in media, good friend in media, someone I respect a lot that was chatting with me privately, and he was critical of one of my takes from yesterday's show. And he had some evidence and just some thoughts that I hadn't even considered to back up his argument. And even though we disagreed, I appreciate truly the time that it took to communicate that to me. And I tried to take it to heart and think it through, and attempt to view it from that perspective, from his perspective. And we disagreed, and we still do, because I didn't intend it to come across as it did to him. But I'm really glad I heard the opinion. It's going to make me at least think a little bit harder about how things can be interpreted in some ways. And as a fan of a team, or as an observer of sports in general, I want the truth. And often the truth is the toughest decision to make, to actually allow for that level of vulnerability to swallow your pride and say, you know what? Sorry. So I just want to congratulate the Tampa Bay Lightning for having the guts to do what a lot of franchises would not. In a tough moment, I don't understand what those that had a problem is wanted. Kudos to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We will continue to talk hockey, but we'll shift it back to Nashville. Preds stars game four. It's at 7 o'clock tonight. Alex Doherty, who does a great job for A to Z sports, will join me next here on The Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Jason Martin with you as always on Twitter at jmartzone. If you'd like to join the program and get through my gatekeeper, Ryan Mudd, who's spinning the dials radio style for me here tonight behind the glass, it's 615 737 one zero four five. We bring in Alex Doherty, who writes about the Nashville Predators for A to Z Sports. Does a great job. He is on Twitter at Alex one, and it's Doherty like Brent, but with an A. If you're looking for it, I'm not going to try to spell it all out for you. Alex, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm doing good. Just make sure you don't spell it like Daughtry. That's the most important thing.
1: Yeah. So you, so you uh, do not. Uh, you're not a purveyor of mediocre pop slash rock music, I guess.
2: Yeah, not not exactly, but uh, apparently, still pe- people still think it's two thousand seven and that band is around. So, so I think that
1: what we saw in Game Three was that Pecorine stole it. I saw that was one thing that you wrote. It's what a lot of people wrote. It felt like Dallas outplayed Nashville, but the difference was Pecarini and net against Ben Bishop, who had been really good all year, but picked a really bad night to have a bad night. Is that how you would assess it?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, definitely one of Pecorine's most impressive playoff performances of his career. Uh, I can I can think of Game 7 against the Ducks a couple of years ago and probably Game 1 against the Blackhawks in the United Center and then probably that one. Uh, 40 saves. I mean, he was just... He was on it from the beginning. Uh, even the two goals he gave up were, were probably on his defense more than anything. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I I've never seen... A goalie that can take over a game quite like Piccarina, and he was just sensational. And, um, the Predators got two lucky goals at the other end that Ben Bishop was not his equal. So, um, yeah, you feel like the Predators stole one. You come away, they come away with the series lead two to one. Um, I, I don't know that they really deserve it at this point, but the, the good thing is they haven't put together a full performance yet, and there's, they still have a lead in the series, so.
1: Yeah, Coach Montgomery of the Stars said that he believes that his team is the better team right now and has been throughout the majority of the series, and I laid it out yesterday on the show, and I said, look, if you were doing scorecards like it was boxing or MMA, he might be right until you include the goaltending, but when you look at who is outplaying who outside of the goaltenders, do you think Montgomery has a case there?
2: Yeah, I I think definitely. I think the the Stars have outplayed the Predators in two of the three games, I think. And really, if you look individually, maybe out of the, what, nine periods that have been played, the Stars have been better for about seven, six or seven maybe. And and so uh, the Predators have had some, some timely goal scoring. That's the thing with the Stanley Cup playoffs is it can be so narrow. The margins are just so narrow that if you just get a couple of timely goals, that can make the difference in a series. And you've seen teams win Stanley Cups just by scoring their way out of trouble. And the Predators haven't exactly scored a ton of goals so far, but they've scored themselves out of trouble when it, when it mattered. So uh, I, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for just sort of getting it done when it matters, uh, and the Predators have done that so far. Um, that being said, I think tonight is going to be the biggest test for, for the Predators because the Stars are going to absolutely lay everything on the table to try to go back to Nashville tied at two.
1: Yeah. One thing that I think that we are starting to see is a lot of the guys that have left this franchise over the past couple of years, either for retirement or to put on other jerseys, they seem to be more of the leaders on these t- on this team and and for this franchise. And now I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to figure out, and maybe you can answer this for me, who is the leader? Like, we saw Craig Smith step up after Game 1 and say some things that were pretty poignant about the team that could have even been reflected to say, look, the coaching hasn't been all that so far either. I I don't necessarily think that's what he was saying, but he was definitely trying to be inspirational to some extent, maybe to fill that void. And then he showed up in game two. He scored the game winner, yes, in overtime, but it was the way he played all night long that really stood out to me. So right now, who is the leader on this team and is, does that continue to be a bit of a problem that we don't
0: know for sure?
2: You know, I, I think it's, here's the tricky thing about hockey. You know, if you think about leaders on a football team, when, when you go into that huddle, it. Uh, it there's really just one obvious leader. Like with the Titans, Marcus Mariota is the obvious leader of that huddle. But it's different in hockey. I mean, there's guys that lead in different ways. I would say Pecorino is the most sort of respected and revered leader, and whenever he says anything, people listen. But in a lot of ways, someone like a Craig Smith or a Victor Arbiton or uh, or someone like that 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 goes out and proves it by, by kind of working hard every single shift is leading in a different way. Uh, Ryan Johansson was asked this exact question uh, after Game 2 on Saturday, Um, and his answer was basically like everybody on this team is a leader in their own way. And there there is, of course, some people wear the C or the A, but every player has their own leadership style. Um, The other thing I'll mention, I think that there's definitely some, because you have the language issue, uh, you've got some players who obviously uh, feel more comfortable speaking in Finnish or Swedish, You've got little factions there of leaders among those groups. They're not separate necessarily. They just kind of follow each other. And I think definitely Philip Forsberg is a leader among those groups, and I think uh, uh, Pecorino is another one like that. So that's a, just another thing to consider you might not have thought about with when dealing with a hockey team and leadership.
1: Yeah, I think that's different than other sports. That's a really good point. Alex Doherty of A2Z Sports joining us here on the Big Six tonight. P.K. Subban, it wasn't a great year for him. But he's playing his guts out right now in the postseason. Uh, I was really impressed, especially with what I've seen from him in the past two games. My man is going for broke out there, and you have to appreciate that, right?
2: Oh, it's been it's been pretty phenomenal to see. I mean, the for for as bad as the regular season was for him, and he and he admitted it all throughout the season. He needed to play better, and he was not doing his best. And uh, you know, he had one of the lowest point points per game seasons since uh, 2012. So we're talking you know seven years. Uh, running this this sort of bad, a bad season for the first time in seven years, and I, I think that maybe you know we can all we can all say that the, it was part of it was injury uh, related, and he said as much. But um, I I mean to be honest, I really think that some of these guys were, were just kind of holding some reserves in the tank, uh, anticipating knowing that the playoffs were coming and knowing that they had to save a little bit up for that. So uh, boy, he's 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 tilted from the ice when he's out there. He's playing a great defense. He's playing great offense. And you just hope it keeps going.
1: I don't even want to talk about the power play, but I do want to talk about how bad Nashville was in five-on-five in terms of just the aggressiveness that we saw from the stars. And you said earlier they're going to throw everything out there tonight to try and tie this series before it heads back to Nashville. I don't think – that you can bank on Ben Bishop screwing it up again and giving up two goals like he gave up in Game 3. The skaters flat out have to be better. Like, we've got to see more. I don't know where Matias Ekholm has been, but the Matias Ekholm that we've come to know, I think more often than not for this team, doesn't seem to be there right now. And he's not the only one. I also, and maybe I'm wrong, I know he assists a lot. I need to see Ryan Johansson actually potentially try to shoot the puck. A little bit more often than not take talk me off this ledge or tell me where i'm wrong
2: no I, in fact i was going to mention ryan johansson as soon as you brought that up i mean matthias eckholm you're right he needs to step up his game i think he's been uh underwhelming to say the least but look ryan johansson uh doesn't have a point in the in the first three games just to give you some perspective only twice this season did he have a stretch of three games or more where he didn't get a point so that's how huge he was for the predators this year I mean, he led the team in points. They need production out of that guy in order to be a successful team. I mean, they wouldn't have won the Central Division without Ryan Johansson doing what he does. Uh, you know, obviously he needs to shoot more, but I just think, I think for, to, to, for some extent, to some extent, he needs to relax a little bit. Uh, I think he's maybe playing a little bit too fast. I know that sounds a little silly, but uh, I think he's trying to make some, some crazy plays here and there that he doesn't need to worry about. Just play physical, get in the corner play with it that he's got this nice long reach that he can use uh to his advantage when he does that when he when he's using that reach when he's using his physical you know body to kind of box out players he no one can stop him he's great so he just needs to get back to that
1: and Rocco Grimaldi uh, his speed has been fantastic since they got him on the ice. I continue to wonder why it took so long to get him out here because I know you can't count on him to go out there and have a goal every single night. You, you can't expect that. But it seems like to me, especially in this matchup, Grimaldi is far superior to what the Preds were trying to throw out there in Game 1, and of course due to injuries and, thing, and things like that, it makes it a little bit easier to keep Rocco out there. But Rocco has really, really helped this team, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, he, he's been great, and you know, a lot of times in the playoffs, it's all about matchups. And I think that Rocco Grimaldi is a, a matchup nightmare for a lot of fourth line, uh, for a lot of fourth lines out there. So he's he is a very atypical fourth liner. I mean, not many fourth liners in hockey have the speed that he has, or even the skill that he has. Uh, I, I think that's a, r- a real important thing. I mean, the, the fourth line right now is playing a little bit more like the second line should play. Was playing with some speed, playing with some transition game. Getting the getting an offensive stoppage and getting a start in the offensive zone. I mean, they they look a little bit more like what the second line should be doing with Tourists and Granland and Smith. Uh, I mean, he has transformed that line since he got into the lineup, and they, they really missed him down the stretch with injury, uh, Him being out with an injury too. I mean, he he's been like this all year. He's been a, a sort of an, an energizer bunny on the fourth line, obviously similar to Victor Arvidsson. Not as much skill, but uh, yeah, he's been he's been absolutely huge and. I, I think he's really gearing up for that contract too. I think he knows that this summer he's gonna be he's gonna be uh talking to David Poyle about possibly staying in Nashville long term. So
1: So the Granland thing, I mean he scores he that may be the first thing he's really done in a preds uniform since he got here. everybody <laughs> was talking about what a heist for David Poyle to get Granland here and it just hasn't worked out to this point. And they this look, this goal was kind of more of a fluke than anything else. It's one Ben Bishop just had to say, Okay, this is not my night. And there was some traffic in front of him out there. Is there any reason to think maybe this will turn it around a little bit for Granlin? Sometimes luck can go your way, and maybe you can build some kind of momentum off that. But you mentioned that second line. Smith has played really well. Turris has been dreadful all year long. And Granlin just has not given you what, you what I think most of us assumed that he was capable of giving us. So is there hope here with this second line based on what we've seen over the past couple of games?
2: yeah there there is some hope and uh, I I, the, I forget who said it but at one point someone said something like a, a good line in hockey is one that likes to go out and pull weeds as opposed to plant flowers and Craig Smith is a guy that goes out there and pulls weeds. Grandland and tourists like to go out there and plant flowers if they can get if they can get more onto Craig Smith's side of things and start to pull some weeds Start to start to really get in the corners and, and work hard. Which I'll be honest, I have seen from Granlin. He has been working pretty hard. Uh, I think that they're going to see a lot more success as opposed to trying to to do a lot with the puck, to make beautiful one-time passes, to to see things that are not really there. If he can do all that, if he can if he can uh, not worry about all that, he can and go into the corners and try to win some puck battles like Craig Smith does. He's going to be fine. Uh, the good thing is, you know, sometimes you're going to get lucky, and sometimes when you just shoot the puck on the net, it's going to take a crazy bounce off the underside of a, of a blocker and go in, um, but you can't expect that every time, obviously, and you got to just go out there and work every single shift, so... Uh, I have seen pretty good things from the second line, and I, I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a goal tonight, too.
1: You and I both picked Preds in six, which means Dallas is going to have to win another one. Do you predict that one's coming tonight, or do you think it goes 3-1 and then they get another one before the Predators finish it off?
2: I, I, I think Dallas comes out pretty pretty heavy tonight. I really do think Dallas is probably going to come away with a win tonight. Uh, I just think that this is going to be the toughest game the Predators have played all year, and what we've seen from this team is when they really have a big, big game, and I'm thinking about, you know, that, that game in Winnipeg a few weeks back, uh, there was a game against Colorado that was a big game. Um, when they have those big, big moments, they have not performed well. I kind of think we're going to see the same thing. However, I do think that they will still win in six. Um, I, I'm, I, I really thought about putting them in, in, Preds winning in seven, and I'm, I'm thinking it could go that far based on what I've seen out of Dallas. So, I'll stick with my present six, but I do think that the Dallas Stars probably get a win tonight.
1: Just one walk-off here here in about a half minute that we have left in this segment. Tampa Bay loses. What's your reaction to a 62-win team going down and getting swept by a franchise that had never won a playoff series in its its history?
2: Uh, I I have no answers. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a team be so completely stacked in the regular season. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that they they wrapped up the regular season title, the President's Trophy, in I think February. So for two months, they have been doing nothing but staying healthy, winning a few games here and there, and and just doing what they can to get to the to the playoffs and then see who they're going to play. And two months off after after an intense four months of hockey, that is a little bit difficult to ramp up yeah. in, in just a few games. So that that's really all I'm thinking, but. Oh boy, I, I did not see that coming. I didn't even see Columbus beating them at all, let alone a sweep. So.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. sometimes the hockey gods. I guess we talk about the football gods and the basketball guys, but the hockey gods. not this year for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports has been our guest at Alex Doherty one on Twitter. Alex, uh, enjoy Joe game. We'll be following what you have to say tonight, and we'll catch up with you again soon here on the Big Six.
2: Sure thing. I appreciate it, Jay, Mark. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate it.
1: That is Alex Doherty. We will be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone on a Wednesday in the Music City. You're stuck in traffic. Appreciate you making me part of your evening. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. 737-1045 is how you join us. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Our thanks to Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports for coming on and helping us preview Pred Stars Game Four. He does a great job at sports Nashville.com You can read his work there. He'll be with us throughout the postseason and uh, going forward for sure. I'm really enjoying our conversations. Let off talking about failure and talking about how the Tampa Bay Lightning tweeted out something I thought was very, very well done in the wake of a just a catastrophic moment for their franchise. Winning 62 games, locking up the President's the president's Trophy two months ago, and then getting swept by a team that in the Columbus Blue Jackets that had never won a playoff series before. And instead of saying nothing or saying it is what it is, they said, we don't know what to say. We know you're hurting. We're hurting, too. This isn't what we wanted. This isn't the way that we thought that this was going to go down. We're sorry. But thank you for your support. And I thought, look, that's transparent. That's being honest. It's being vulnerable. And it's something that a lot more people could stand to do, I think. I know I could you know, I could always look at it and say, how transparent am I? Could I be more transparent? So I was thinking about this. and I was, This whole point that I've been making over the past couple of weeks since the Virginia deal and since Tiger Woods about how you overcome failure by owning it, not excusing it away, and Virginia being the prime example of such a thing. I was trying to think of other examples on both sides to indicate this. And I think this might be the best example. I'm going to give you some, a couple of negatives and a couple of positives, but I want you to remember back to September, September the 27th, 2008. Ole Miss beats Florida in a stunner early in that college football season. And the quarterback of the Florida Gators was a guy you might know of named Tim Tebow. And after the game, this was what Tim, Sebo, Tim, Tim uh, Tebow said in his press conference.
0: It's just It's just frustrating. I wanted to stay in our hearts and keep hurting, um, because this will motivate me um, uh, personally and I think believe everybody else, coaches and the rest of the players, um, to never let something like this um, happen again, um, especially when we feel we 're better than the team and um, don't play up to our ability and uh, I just want to say one thing um, to the fans and everybody. Gator Nation, um, I'm sorry. Um, extremely sorry. You know, we were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal. Something Florida's never done here. But I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. And you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. And you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of this season. God bless.
1: And you know what Florida did after that? They won 10 in a row and the national championship. There was no excuses there. We didn't play well. I will get better. And he kept saying, I am sorry. He was talking about his own play. His goal was an undefeated season. It was thrown out the window. You can't then all of a sudden throw that out or put it underneath the bed and say, ah, we didn't actually lose that game. No, we all saw it. You lost the game. You lost to Ole Miss, a team that you were better than. And so you owned it. And you said, you know what, We're, a lot of good is going to come from this. Even a difficult moment, a lot of good is going to come from this. And a lot of good did, if you're a Florida Gators fan. That is one of the more historic press conferences in recent memory, especially in SEC football, where a lot of things are said. But that's the one, when you think of Tim Tebow, that's going to be one of the first things you think of when you think of his career is his response to adversity, his response to failure. Now, if you want to look at the other side of the coin, One of the bigger examples that I can remember, at least recently, is what happened to Ronda Rousey after Holly Holm knocked her out and beat her. It was stunning. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody gave Holly Holm credit. Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey down. Ronda looked totally inferior in that fight. Ronda had been the baddest woman on the planet. Nobody was even getting close. She was winning fights in Vine video time in like seven seconds. Every one of her fights you could watch for free because someone would just periscope it, and it'd be over too fast for UFC to even copyright pull that thing down because it would be so quick. Nobody was going to beat Rousey. And then Holly Holm did beat Rousey. And what was Ronda Rousey's response? It wasn't exactly Tim Tebow's. It was going into a ball and disappearing. Remember she went on Ellen DeGeneres' show long after that and talked about how she was suicidal. She wasn't sure if she wanted to live after she lost that fight. She didn't know. She didn't have anything that she could say. She felt totally alone and isolated. And I'm not saying this to vilify Ronda Rousey. I'm saying that Ronda Rousey did not know what to do with failure because she never actually took into consideration the fact that it was going to happen. She didn't know. She didn't have any kind of a foundation when disappointment found her. And so her entire identity was wrapped up in Ronda Rousey, the undefeated UFC women's bantamweight champion. This superstar, this superhero, everybody has lost. Michael Jordan lost a lot of games. Tom Brady's lost his share of football games. Kobe, Shaq, LeBron has lost in the finals numerous times. The greatest athletes we've ever seen have been beaten at some point. Ronda Rousey did not ever think she was going to lose. And this is why I'm saying no amount of preparation or planning or even how good you think you are and how hard you work and how much you want it. Man, sometimes somebody's just going to knock you out. And Ronda's response there, she never came back from it. She came back and she lost to Misha Tate then, and then she was out. She was done with UFC, now she's in WWE, and now she's out of WWE and she's going to go home and she's going to start a family. Because her and her husband... Maybe through this adversity, quietly in her own life, maybe there's a part of her that actually decided that there was something a little bit greater than having a zero in your L column. And if so, kudos to her and more power to her. Maybe she was able to learn something through this experience. It was hard to listen to her talk about how dark it got for her after she lost one fight. The difference between Tebow's reaction saying, look, I'm going to come back from this, we're going to come back from this, and Ronda Rousey disappearing into a cave somewhere and questioning whether or not her life was worth living after she lost one fight. Those are the extremes of the extremes. You overcome failure not by excusing it. You overcome overcome it by owning it. Ronda Rousey, everybody else saw that fight. I don't know that she ever fully owned it. She just kind of disappeared. She didn't know what to do. It was a sad story. She has come back and she has been fine. Although her invincibility in UFC went away. And now she's out of UFC and out of fighting in general. And her story has changed. The way you react to adversity really determines a lot about whether or not you're able to overcome it or whether or not it overcomes you. Food for thought. We'll be right back with Pro and Con. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment, Big 6 tonight. Global Golf Radio. Barney Allery set to take it away. I'm sure he's probably going to be talking a little bit about that guy who won his fifth green jacket on Sunday. Maybe even looking ahead to Beth Page. I'll be listening. We're brought to you by Renter's Warehouse here on the Big Six. I'm Jason Martin. Renter's Warehouse is dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company. Also, coming up next week, of course, Nissan Stadium, Broadway, even the Skirmerhorn. NFL Draft, first time here in Nashville, Thursday through Saturday. That's the 25th through the 27th hour coverage. And we have some, some great partners helping us through this. Ford, the Tennessee Highway Safety Office Sprint, and of course, our great friends at Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery, many locations across the state of Tennessee. Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery is your destination for appliances, including the efficient Whirlpool connected steam wall oven. This is going to be fun. And we still don't know exactly what it's going to look like until it's here. I said that a couple of days ago. We are all very, very excited to see how Nashville just turns it out. And they are. It's going to be straight-up hype downtown. But we can't wait to see the stage. We can't wait to see the turnout. We can't wait to see everything that's going to take place. But We'll have the best draft coverage, as we do every single year, here on 104.5 The Zone. Coming up all next week, Titans Radio will have specials every single night, so you will have blanket coverage. You'll know everything that you could possibly know to be prepared for the NFL draft next week, which means, of course, I will not be on. I will cede it to Rep. Brian and Mike Keith and the crew, and I know they, they will do a great job. All right, let's do some pro and con before we get out of here tonight. Pro is something I like, con something I don't. Really cool story out of Lancashire over in the U.K. Tia Taggart has Ewing sarcoma, and it affects the bones. It affects soft tissue. It's debilitating, to say the least. She was diagnosed back in 2015. So she turned 10 a few weeks ago. And I just saw this story at the BBC, and it just, it's an ultimate pro. She had told her parents in advance of her birthday, she didn't want a party. She didn't want any presents. She just kind of hoped maybe she'd get a lot of birthday cards. So her mom and dad go and they put it out on social media, they put it out on Facebook specifically. And, you know, you never know what the reaction is going to be. And at first count, her father said, and there are photos that you can find that actually prove this, and you can see it, and it's it's just going to warm your heart, basically. 2,850 cards arrived at first count, and now another couple of hundred have knocked that over 3,000, and I think more are still filtering in. That is unbelievable, and it's just a reminder, and you guys know this full well as we are you know, supporting Jonathan Hutton and his LLS Man of the Year campaign. And tomorrow night we're all going to be out at the Bell Tower for an evening with Amy Adams Strunk, John McClain, and those it's going to be tremendous. I've never been to the Bell Tower, so I'm super excited about it, but it's going to be just another event for an awesome cause. But this is just a reminder in general of how much good still exists in this world. And how and this is kind of a small gesture thing, right? Sending a card. It's nice, but it's not going to put you out, you know. But even a relatively small gesture can mean everything. This girl that's just going through hell, honestly, and has been since she was diagnosed, she just turned 10. Almost half of her life she's dealt with this disease, Ewing sarcoma. Didn't want to party, just wanted cards. And so her parents said, okay, we'll put it out on Facebook. Over 3,000 have come in. This is a brutal fight that she is under, and so she gets more than her wish for her birthday because people read the social media post from her parents, and they cared about that post, and they just felt like they had to do something about it. There is no greater pro that I can put forth to you today than this, and I tell you, if you're inspired by that or if you're moved by that, find a cause that you believe in and get involved. Go to Hutton1045.com and donate to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And that doesn't end at the end of his campaign, and he'll be the first to tell you that. The fight is going to be ongoing. But find something that you believe in and get involved in it. And it's, this is just an awesome story. It doesn't get more uplifting than this. T. Attackert and her 3,000-plus birthday cards are enough evidence of why I think we should all hope and why it is that we fight, and why, honestly, we need each other to get through our lives. We weren't meant to go through this life alone. And here, Tia Taggart, from a bunch of strangers, gets over 3,000 cards after all that she's been through. That is absolutely terrific, folks. So that is a pro of all pros. Now for the con, something I don't like as much. I have lamented the AAF. I've talked about it. I said it wasn't going to work. I said mediocre football. We overestimate how much football we actually want. We love football. We love great football. We don't love mediocre football, and we don't really need spring football. So the AAF has now filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy. That's the most common form of bankruptcy. The league's going to gather its assets. It's going to sell them to pay creditors. And that includes liquidating real estate and all sorts of other things. So they suspended operations earlier this month. We knew that. And some of the stories that have come out have not been flattering to how this situation had been structured and organized. But according to ESPN and other sources, the league under the Limited Liability Corporation Legendary Field Exhibitions LLC had basically $11 million in assets and over $48 million in liabilities, including 9.6 owed to creditors. And this is an amazing quote from ESPN.com. The league, despite millions of dollars invested in it, has $536,160 in the bank, only $78,582 in licenses, franchises, and royalties, and they owed... Way more than that. Like, I I can't even give it to you, but they owe just to MGM Resorts International, they owe over $7 million for security interest and intellectual property. There are three, not one, not two, LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh. Three class action lawsuits right now against the AAF. Tom Dundon of the Carolina Hurricanes had pledged $250 million in funding. That turned out not to be true. They said, oh, no, 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 this was just about opportunity. It wasn't about necessity. No, it was about necessity. Charlie Ebersault, there are a lot of people that are on the hook that invested in this thing that are never going to be able to recover their losses or they're going to get pennies on the dollar. It's incredible how badly this AAF thing happened. And I'm just looking down the pipe at the XFL and I'm saying, Vince has the money to keep it alive, but I think he's burning money. And if I were him, I would find a way out of this thing as fast as humanly possible. He's not. His pride's not going to let him. He can't believe that he failed the first time. He has to come back and succeed. I am on the record. The XFL will not last two years. I don't even know if it will last one. It probably will just because Vince will continue to fund it and he has the money to burn. He is the joker in this situation. But it ain't going to work. Spring football will not work i'll tell you who does work barney allery global golf radio is coming up next go preds clear eyes full hearts can't lose god bless and good night